The following does not represent tax, legal, or financial advice, and does not claim a guarantee of results, as every situation is unique. It also may include the tasteful use of blue-collar language that some people might find offensive. Listener discretion is advised. This is Mindset Starts With Language. I am very excited to talk to you about this. Let's just go ahead and get started. I'm Anthony Crane from MoneyGodfather.com, and this is your Money Godfather podcast, where I guide you to find clarity in defining what you want and why. I help you build a roadmap on how to get it, and I show you that you can have a great time while doing it. Because for you to be rich, you must first be free. So I talked before in a previous episode about talking to yourself, that inner dialogue that we all have, it forms our reality. It's also formed by the people that surround you. You will hear this in different formats, that you are the average of the five closest people to you, or sometimes it's seven. But the people that you surround yourself with, that you spend the most time with, are basically what you assimilate. Not just your behavior, but your form of thoughts, your political inclinations, your religious beliefs. And just like that, also what you think about money. And the solution to that is not to get rid of all your friends all at once, but to find people that think like you do and start spending more time with them. I'm a real estate investor, so to me, it was to find a Real Estate Investors Association, or RIA. There should be a similar group where you're at. You can start with a Google search or go to your local library and ask around. And if there isn't such a group, maybe you can start one. So in this group, everybody was interested in real estate investing. That was the vehicle that I wanted to take to break away from the rat race and reach the level of success that I have today. So ask yourself, what do you want? Where do you want to be? And find people that are already there or are currently in their path to get there. Not people that read about it, not people that saw a documentary on it, and now they're experts on the matter. No, people that have skin in the game, people that are doing it. The more time you spend with that person or persons, the more your mind is going to shift into what you need to think about in order to get to where you want to get, achieve your goals, whatever those goals may be. I've told you before that I grew up in very humble beginnings in Mexico, Within a big family of uh, aunts, uncles, cousins. And growing up, the narrative that I heard time and time again, and it took me decades to reflect on this and realize what was happening. But growing up, money was seen as evil. It was, it was only for greedy people. So rich equals bad basically, in a nutshell. So I would hear things like, rich people, all they care about is money. 
The more money they have, the more they worry about keeping their money. They don't care about family or friends. They just care about money. And me being a sprightly young fellow, gullible and impressionable, like probably most of us growing up, would just go like, um, oh, okay, grandma. Well, okay, thanks. I'm going to go play soccer or something. And it was with that weird accent. However, not a single person, now, now I know this reflecting back on it, not a single person would turn down the opportunity to be rich or to have money and not have to worry about it. My realization was, and I'm not, I'm not one to judge, I don't judge anybody, that's not what I do, but my realization was that this inner monologue that they, and by that I mean my whole family, uh, friends, teachers, everybody in my surroundings, the inner monologue that they taught me was money equals bad. Rich people are greedy. And I found out decades later, upon analyzing that, those memories, that it wasn't so much of a subconscious contradiction of saying money is bad, rich people are bad, and secretly desiring that with every fiber of their being. It had more to do with giving themselves permission to stay where they're at. Because remaining in your comfort zone is a lot more comfortable, for lack of a better word, than taking chances and taking risks and striving to change your situation by diving into the unknown. And this is true for most things. That's why it's important for you to find people that are already doing it. So you minimize that risk. You learn from their mistakes, if possible. If you think about it, growing up, uh, classmates. I'll talk about mine because those are the ones that I, that I knew. But if you were studious, that was bad. You were a nerd, right? Kids would be kids, you know? They'll be like, look at that guy. He's actually trying. What a nerd. Such a loser. You'll never get a girlfriend. They're like, dude, you're seven. Nobody has a girlfriend. And this might remain the same case uh, throughout high school, throughout college. That if you study for tests and get good grades, that's bad. You're a loser. You're a nerd. You're uncool. There's a really good movie. It's a classic. It's called The Breakfast Club. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. I'm not going to spoil it for you. But it represents five archetypes of personalities in high school. These five individuals were on detention after class, and the movie takes place around the hour, hour and a half that they have to spend there together. Since they are so different, it makes for interesting cinema or television, if you watch it on the television, whatever. The archetypes were a jock, you know, really sporty guy, always into sports. All he talks about sports. Another guy was a nerd, like we're talking about. 
another guy was the troublemaker or the rebel without a cause, the cool guy that's always brooding in the corner, right? Always bullying everybody else. A preppy girl that she's well-dressed, well-mannered, educated. And there's an another girl that's very shy, very emo, I suppose, if that's still a thing. Obviously unpopular. Or you can already tell, just by those archetypes, which ones were the popular kids and which ones were not. But with all of their differences, they obviously have one thing in common. They're in detention. For whatever reason, they all ended up in detention. And that's the premise of the movie. They get to talking about their parents at some point. And this is the point I want to shed some light on. Assuming that they all had their own circle of friends, that obviously none of the other people present, they finally got around to talking about why they were in detention. And I'm not going to ruin the movie for you and tell you all of those details, but they touched up on their home environments and how no matter how different they were from each other, they all experience some level of stress. There's always going to be stress. We're going to stress about different things. They were unhappy about something. In one of the examples, the parents paid too much attention to their kid. They wanted him to win at everything. And there's no second place. You either win or you're a loser. That's a lot of pressure. Another one was a complete opposite. Their parents ignored them, and they were always wondering why. Another one had perfect parents, and their stress came from not relating to everybody else that has other problems. And the bully, you probably know this already, but most bullies are bullies because they get bullied at home. I know, it's a terrible fact, but unfortunately, it's true. And the final family dynamic was similar to the first family, but they pressured their kid into getting good grades instead of being a winner in all sports. So they had to be a straight-A student. Heaven forbid they got a B. If you got a C, you don't even want to go home. That's how bad it's going to be. I'm not saying any of these are good or bad. I'm just stating their differences. And this movie was filmed in the 80s. So times were very different back then. But the principle applies. Just like I grew up with a poor mindset. All they know is what they learn at home. And then you become an adult. And you go to your workplace. And of course, you always have those people who just hang out by the coffee machine or the water cooler and are just interested in spreading gossip or talking about the game this past weekend or asking for advice on their relationship. Anything but work. So in that scenario or in that situation, you say, well, all right, well, I got to go. I, I have work to do. Like, what a loser. You actually work? Oh, my God. You're putting in your efforts. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, you're not cool. You're not one of the cool ones like I am. <laughs> I'm so lonely. 
So the sentiment remains the same. It never changes. So where does it end? Well, it starts and ends with you. Ultimately, you're the one that decides who you interact with. So I mentioned mindset. Well, what about it? Mindset is one of those terms that has been overused. Most people don't know what they're talking about. And they all tell you, oh, you got to change your mindset. Oh, it's all in your mind. It all starts there. But how? Nobody tells you how. Well, I'll tell you how. That's how it starts. It starts with you making a decision. Where do you want to be? Every day you have an opportunity to change that decision. And then you take action. I'm going to find people that are where I want to be at and figure out a way to have them teach me or share with me the lessons they learned, how they got started, their wins, their losses, and just start on your journey. I ended up doing something very, very drastic. I joined the U.S. Navy. That was something unprecedented, unheard of in my family. Nobody had ever done anything like that. But it was that separation from that environment that helped me change my mindset. Decades later, now I know that rich people are not evil. They're not greedy. They're not something to keep away with an eight-foot stick. They're just people. I'm not saying there isn't rich people that are greedy and evil. But it had nothing to do with being rich. It had to do with that person. Whether you have a million dollars or you have a hundred dollars, being evil and being greedy are bad. I don't care where you're at. So find somebody that is on their journey to where you want to be at or already at a place you want to be at. Like for me, it was a successful real estate investor. That's what I wanted to be. I wanted to get out of the rat race. I wanted passive income. I wanted to survive economic downturns. And every day, I made it a point to be 2% better. Now, 2% may not sound as much, but just bear with me for a second. Entire companies and corporations employ a team, a whole team that create a department to increase revenue by whatever. If it's 2%, that's all the company needs to justify the existence of that department. They probably call something to do with revenue, like revenue operations, and ran by a chief revenue officer, where their whole point is to figure out a way to increase revenue. Now, how they do that? There's different ways to do that. Cutting costs or increasing profits. That's why they get paid the big bucks to figure that stuff out. So you always want to be striving for something better. When people peak in their lives or plateau, whatever you want to call it, then let me ask you, what else is there for them to do if they've already reached the peak of their life? So you don't want that. You want to always be better. Have the goal to be better, get better, even if it's just 2%. And apply this to anything you do, everything that you do. The quality of your work, your grades, if you're still in, in school, 
your relationships with your significant other, your parents, your family, and do it for yourself. You're not doing it for anybody else. You're doing it for yourself. And if being rich is what you want to do, you can very well do that. And don't let anybody tell you that it's evil and greedy to want that. It's not. Look, being rich is a term that is relative and is subjective. It's subjective to you depending on how you grew up, who you surround with yourself with. What is rich? To have a million dollars? To have a hundred thousand dollars? To reach a billion dollars? What is rich to you? Being rich is relative also to others as compared to whom? You might be rich right now. I'm sure of it. I'm sure you're rich right now. All you have to do is look at your life and look at the lives of those less fortunate. Go through a third world country and ask them if they think you're rich. And if you're there, go to the slums. Ask them if they think you are rich. You'll be surprised. They'll be like, yeah, yeah, you are. I mean, I'm the richest guy I know, and I live in a three-bedroom apartment on the 17th floor. You have a house. You have a newer car. You have nicer clothes. You know, whatever the case may be, it's subjective. To me, rich is, in fact, an unobtainable goal or very rarely obtainable goal. To me, you are rich when you are no longer allowed to drive because your insurance prohibits you. Because as part of your insurance, you have to agree to not drive. That's what I think rich is. So it's not the level of celebrities, uh, actors, musicians. No, this is the top tier of being rich. I saw uh, years ago, probably, The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, that he got in, in a little fender bender. And he was really cool about it. You know, I, I don't remember if it was his fault or not, but the point was the report. You saw The Rock actually driving his car. This is not a stab at The Rock. I love the guy. He's great. He's actually one of the few people that don't show up in tabloids and are always starting drama with, with other people. A really genuine guy. But my point is, would you think that I think that The Rock is rich? Let me ask you something. In this age of information and paparazzis and being capable of taking pictures of celebrities in their most private moments, I have never seen Donald Trump driving anything. He's probably not allowed to because if he gets in an accident, whether it's his fault or not, he is open to liability. It's too much liability. So he's probably, is not that he doesn't want to drive is that he's not allowed to drive. So to me, that's the level of rich that I personally haven't achieved yet, but will keep me going for what I expect will be the rest of my life. And if I do end up getting to that level, I'll pick something higher than that. There's always somebody with a bigger yacht than yours or somebody with a bigger private plane. The point is to never stop, continue to grow. Money itself is just a tool, okay? Money is not evil. What more money does 
is it simply amplifies the person you already are. So think about this for a minute. If you like helping people, how many more people could you help if money wasn't an issue? Because I can guarantee you that if you already help people, if you're a little bit of a philanthropist, more money is only going to make you more of that. But coming back to the present, if you were rich, what would you do? Would you take dancing lessons? Would you take fencing? Would you go see the pyramids of Egypt? And my question to you is, why wait? Make it a goal right now to at least find out what it is you need exactly to achieve that. How much are those dancing lessons? How much is a trip to Egypt? You might be surprised. Don't wait until the perfect moment in your life. Right now is the perfect moment of your life. So make it happen. I invite you to share this message with someone you care about. And if I've earned it, please rate this episode and leave a comment so other people can see it. Every episode is an important piece to get you closer to freedom. And think about that last bit. Make it a goal to find out exactly what you need to accomplish your goal. And then put that in your calendar and make it happen. I gotta go ahead and feed my dog now, but we'll talk again soon. Take care.